It's no surprise that updating the electricity grid today will make for a better tomorrow. Increased self-sufficiency is just one of the benefits. The Great Grid upgrade will also boost the economy and create new green jobs. And best of all, you can continue doing the things you love, like watching the latest epic nature documentary or listening to this podcast while caring for the planet too. Find out more at nationalgrid.com. Elevate every morning with Tommy John's Second Skin Underwear. The luxurious support of Second Skin guarantees everything will go smoothly. With over 20 million pairs sold and thousands of five-star reviews, guys love Tommy John. Plus, your most valuable assets are covered with Tommy John's best pair you'll ever wear or its free guarantee. Shop Tommy John's friends and family sale right now and get 25% off site-wide at TommyJohn.com slash Spotify. TommyJohn.com slash Spotify. See site for details. Hi, it's Stephen Colbert, and I'm here to tell you about The Late Show Pod Show, which is the podcast of The Late Show with me, Stephen Colbert, and I'm here with my uh, producer of the podcast, Becca. Hi, Becca. Hi, Stephen. So what do people get when they listen to The Late Show Pod Show? Let's, let's sell this thing. The extended moments, for sure, because we run out of time for broadcast, but we have plenty of time on the podcast. It's kind of like being a live audience member of the show because you get things that no one else hears. Listen to The Late Show Pod Show with Stephen Colbert wherever you get your podcasts. This episode is brought to you by Accenture. A better you starts with better hydration. Accenture is on a mission to inspire people to do what matters most. Their proprietary ionization process transforms water from any source into ionized alkaline water, providing water that's 99.9% pure with a pH of 9.5 or higher. Essentia Overachieving H2O, the number one ionized alkaline water. Shop now. You're listening to The Plodcast, the nature and countryside podcast from BBC Countryfile magazine. My name's Fergus, and I'm your host. And this week, we're beachcombing on Orkney. Plodcast regular Annabel Ross meets up with Martin Gray, who's been finding strange things on the seashore here for many, many years. So listen on to discover some of his highlights from his endless treasure hunts, and to find out what he and Annabel stumble across today. Later, join me in the studio with the Plodcast team where we read a few listener emails and hear some sounds of the wild that we've been sent in. Lastly, don't forget to leave us likes and feedback wherever you listen to the podcast. Martin, could you just first explain to us where we are? Well, right now we're on the northwest corner of the Orkney mainland. So it's a bay called Bursey. So Bursey is the parish. And so... Um, this would be Bursey Bay, I suppose. And looking out to the northwest, you've got the tidal island of the Brocha Bursey, and then uh, the agricultural land, the worked land, extending off to our east, inland towards the various lochs and the, the west mainland of Orkney. Is this somewhere that you regularly come for beach coming? Oh, yes, all the time. This one's really good. This is a really good beach here because it faces due west, maybe even a little south of west. So that's our prevailing wind direction. And of course, there, behind where we are at the moment, there's nothing. Nothing, no land, nothing. 
well, hardly, there's a few specks of land, but really more or less nothing until you get to Canada. So you have the whole of the Atlantic kind of bearing down on you here on this beach. So I do like this one. Forgive me for my ignorance, but are you suggesting that you might find something from Canada beaches oh, on yeah. this beach? All the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And further. Okay, so can you tell us a bit about some of the things you found? Well, you know, I've been at this a long time, so it was something that I kind of started doing in my pre-teens. So that would have been almost 50 years ago. And I've been interested in looking ever since. So I found an awful lot of stuff. You know, beachcombing in Orkney was a proper tradition. It was a proper job. It had meaning and, and purpose. And there were, you know, people who would who would go to the beach who would find things on the beach that was useful in life. So in particular, wood. No wood in Orkney, no trees. But if you can go to the beach and find a 30 foot long spar of wood that was a foot and a half wide then suddenly you've got materials to help put a roof on a shed or on a house or corner posts for a field I mean all sorts of things so wood's always been at a premium but if you go further and further back you know everybody's heard about Scarabray and all the various antiquities in Orkney but they were also beachcombers because in you know, excavate places like Scarabray and there's places like um, there's there's things like stone tools made out of beach cobbles, there's flint, and you only find that on the beaches here, there's seal's teeth and whalebone all from the beach. So the earliest settlers in Orkney used the beach to harvest materials that were going to make their lives better. And the earliest settlers being from Norway, am I right? No, yeah. no, no, oh. no, way before that. So way back to 6,000 years ago. The, the Norwegians were, were, were you know, Johnny come lately. Um, they're just like from about the eighth century onwards, so a little bit over, you know, twelve hundred years ago. So we were well settled and advanced by the time the Norwegians showed up. From the mainland, people came to settle. It's thought that the earliest settlers may have come to Orkney from the continent directly, so possibly from the Low Countries or Germany in boats. You've just seen a bird there. I've lost you. Just, no, it's all right. I'm still. <laughs> I'm just checking. What did you some, see? It's just those stars. And what are we hearing? Can you hear that? Is that? Oh, they stopped now, but we'll listen in a minute. So you were saying that you started beachcombing from pre-teens. So could you give us some of the stories of what you found over the years? I mean, I found just all sorts of stuff, you know, things that have been from, you won't believe this, but from as far afield as Northwest Africa or Portugal, Spain. So things like octopus pots, which are plastic pots, thin, pretty crappy plastic pots. And to deploy them, they're moulded plastic, so you put concrete in the base as a weight and it's attached to the surface by a string and a float and there's no bait. The bait is the big hole in the front of the pot because you know how octopuses are so keen to get in a hole and get out of sight. So you set this pot and then you go along and pull it up and there could be an octopus in it and you know this is a, a commercial fishery. They're very lightweight bits of gear so they float away and they get caught up in a current flowing west across the Atlantic into the Caribbean. They're a huge litter problem in the Caribbean. And if they don't get driven ashore there, they might become uh, captured by the Gulf Stream and they get wanged up across the Atlantic to here. So they've crossed the Atlantic twice, all the way from Spain, Portugal, Northwest Africa, east to west, and then up and then west to east. And then they come ashore here. Same with fishing crates. I've found fish crates, fish boxes from uh, Morocco, Mauritania, and they're washed up here. If something can stay afloat long enough, the sea can take it anywhere. There's transpolar transport as well. So things washing into the polar ocean from the Pacific. The polar ice cap, what's left of it, rotates clockwise. 
So at the top of the Pacific in the Beaufort Sea, it's going from east to west and it captures things and brings them towards the Atlantic. And there's a great outflow from the polar ocean along the East Greenland coast and it brings items from the Pacific to the Atlantic. And then um, down to here? Yeah, down to here, but by a very circuitous route. So down past Greenland, Labrador, Newfoundland, and then from Newfoundland across. So finding things from the new world is routine. I'm certain that within 20 minutes of looking, I could show you things that have come from Canada or the United States. It's standard, absolutely standard. These are the byproducts of civilization, and I suppose that's a posh way of saying litter. It's just things that people have lost or discarded or have found their way into the sea from a river or perhaps from a ship sinking. There can be all sorts of backstories. It's very easy for us to look, oh, that's terrible, look at that bit of rope there, throwing their stuff in the sea. But you can't say that because you cannot tell the backstory of that particular piece of rope or you know, it could have come from a boat that sank and it's nobody's fault. So you have to be a bit careful. So how do you work it all out? You must be quite a good investigator if you're able to work out where a piece of rope might have come from. Facebook. <laughs> Facebook groups? Yeah. There's a, an informal gathering of beachcombers around the whole of the Atlantic on Facebook and I would be lost without them. It's an absolutely super little community and everywhere from the Bahamas, Florida, all up the East Coast, Nova Scotia, Newfoundland, don't have anybody in Iceland, I could do with somebody from there. Mm -hmm. A few in Norway, several in Britain and Ireland, Holland, France, loads of people in France, Spain and Portugal, the Azores, all around the North Atlantic. And we all chat and swap pictures of what we've seen or what we can't identify. Or, and it's just brilliant. I have learned so much. It's invaluable and it's heaven sent and I'd be lost without it. So that's how I figure out a lot of these things. So when you find these things, where do you put them? Oh, <laughs> my shed. <laughs> You're a hoarder? My, no, 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 yes, I suppose. I keep things because one day my ambition is to start a beachcombing museum where I can display all of these amazing bits of rubbish and curios from the beach. With their stories? With their stories, because the stories are amazing, they're brilliant. It's one of the things that gets me out of bed in the morning. So, for example, there's a very specific type of fishing float that you find here that usually comes from the lobster fishery in Maine. They have about two million lobster pots in the sea every season. So it's a massive, massive thing, but they lose a lot of gear because the weather can be pretty nasty. So I found this float and it was in really good condition, green and white, polystyrene. And I thought, oh, and it had letters and numbers on it. And I knew that the letters would be the initials of the fisherman and the numbers were the numbers from his fishing license. So I put this up on one of the Facebook pages related to that fishery and seven minutes later, the guy messaged me, hey, you found my float. And we had it, we just had a fantastic conversation back and forth. He was really interested about the islands and he sent me a photograph of his boat and his wharf and his traps and his skiff and his family and his house and Jeep. Wonderful, and we're still in touch every year, keep in touch back and forth, it's just brilliant. There's another fella in the bottom end of, I guess, Woods Harbour in Nova Scotia, and I found a float from his boat called the Nova Blue, but it wasn't actually his float, it was his father's boat. And in the time that the float had crossed the Atlantic, his father had passed on. So when I posted this up saying, hey, I found your float, 
and going, oh great, that's lovely. Um, but my dad had passed on and they're obviously a really, really close family, big fishing family. I got a kind of a dynastic sort of feel to it all. And again, we're still in touch. And on one or two occasions, I've actually returned things to... I was going to say, do you send them to, do oh, you yeah. send them back? Yeah, quite happy to. If there is meaning to it, I'm more than happy to do that. And a friend of mine in, who's a beachcomber who I absolutely adore, she does so much and she's taught me so much, uh, a girl called Rosemary Hill in Kerry in Southwest Ireland. And she's done lots of that, sending things back to the people who've lost them. There's almost a romance around it when you talk about it like that. Yeah, yeah. It makes it a bit more significant, I think. Otherwise, it's just very self-indulgent, me going out and finding stuff. And I do try to, every time I'm out, for example, and I'm finding things, but I'll also fill my pockets with plastic and take that home and dispose of it properly. So it's a bit of a hybrid activity. But I will say that all the years I've been doing this, I suppose, what is it now, 46, 47, the beaches were much messier when I started. They're unrecognisable now, spotless. Well, they're not, but they were in a dreadful condition back then. Why is that? Because back then, in the 70s, and plastic is long-lived, so the plastic I was finding in the 70s could have been knocking about since the 60s quite easily. But back then, everybody, and I mean everybody, threw everything over the side. So everybody, ferries, fishing boats, containers, tankers, the Navy, everybody. Nobody had a second thought about it. Everything went over the side. God, even I remember on the old inter-island ferries here, you would get on the ferry in Kirkwall heading for, I don't know, Papa West or somewhere, and you would down in the canteen, you would get your couple of bacon rolls, you'd have your cup of coffee, you'd come up on deck, having a look around, and then just when you got to a certain point in the journey, the steward from down below in the canteen would come up with a black bag full of the day's garbage and just chuck it over the side, and nobody batted an eyelid. That was just how it was done. The first ever boat I worked on, just outside the galley door, it had a chute built into the fabric of the ship where you could just pop stuff down and it went straight out. Everything went down the chute. So nobody batted an eyelid to things going over. So the beaches were absolutely clarted, ankle deep with plastic. With real tat, yeah. Yeah, and not just us, but that big ocean we were just talking about, that's all bearing down on us, so we've got everything... So we have improved. Massively. Yeah. I mean, we're not there yet, but the context really is so much better now than it used to be. And even in the past 10 years or so, it's steadily improving. I'd like to wander down to the beach, if that's OK, Martin. Yeah. As you've explained, we're in the middle of the equinoxal... What is, is it? it? Equinoxal gales. Equinoxal gales. So we'll give it a go and see if we can hear anything. But this is probably a really annoying question. But what is the one thing that you want to find? A waterproof briefcase full of money. Yes. OK, let's go. Let's, let's, get, <laughs> let's give it a go. I don't want to be too sort of cliche about this, but on every single walk, I find something that I value or it makes my day. So it's just a matter of a bit of luck. Just got to keep looking down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But being a birder, you're also looking up, I suppose. Yeah, but then you can be a birder with your ears. Yeah. And I think that's what I tend to do a lot of the time is you're just walking along, but you're tuned in. Now there's, what's that then? So that is a can of spray foam. Ooh, okay. Now that's what's left of the can and the foam is solidified on the inside. Okay. So that's been knocking about for a long time. For several years? Yes, I was just, there's more plastic here. I don't know what that's from. That's a kiddie's toy. That's a bit of drainage pipe. And um, ah, well, have a look at this. 
you might not have seen one of these before. This is a, an egg case from a skate. <sighs> so it's a mermaid's purse, but it's the largest of them. So it's, this is about seven inches long and about five inches wide. So it's made and of this kind of leathery, leathery material covered in these lovely bronzed fibers. Beautiful. It is beautiful. beautiful. Things. So inside this would have been a baby skate. So these are laid by the female skate out offshore in rough ground and they just incubate themselves until the baby skate hatches. There's a yolk sack in there that feeds the skate and then out it pops through one end of the the purse. It is like a purse. Yep. So are you going to open it? No, maybe it, not. It's it's just a hollow purse. Yeah. So there's nothing else another one. <laughs> are they common? We've yeah. got two. They are yeah. common. Common here. Common in Orkney. Orkney's got a tremendous population of these still, but elsewhere around the British coast, in most places, there's still a lot in Shetland and down the west coast, but a lot of Britain, these are functionally extinct. Just, just very small numbers of them. So why here? What's Good nursery areas, plenty of food. So it's just ideal for them. I mean, I remember them being fished here, but on a, on a very small scale. It was often rod and line sort of competitive angling. So I think the British record for skate, or if not the world record, was in the Pentland Firth. So, you know, there's, don't know if they were heavily exploited here, but um, it's great to see so many of them now. And as I always say, you know, even if you find nothing of any significance or any value, you've had a walk at the beach. Yes. So it really is a win-win situation. It's lovely, clean, healthy. And you said that behind the beach here is an ancient site. Oh yes, this is like an old ancient monument. I'm not sure of its exact pedigree. It may go back as far as the Iron Age or Viking times. But yeah, and you can see the huge sandy mound and there's various stones poking out of it. So those stones would have been presumably used in some building, some structure. Mm. But you've never found anything necessarily related to uh, that? I found slag from the combustion of iron ore. It's quite well known from ancient sites in Orkney. My guess was it was Viking, but it may be older. Huh. So apart from the briefcase full of money, is there anything <laughs> seriously that you, you would like to find? I did have, for many, many years, I did have a deep-seated ambition to find a St Kilda mailboat. You know that tradition from St Kilda? It was a, an artefact of the human population there that they had no means of communicating to the outside world and they had a terrible I don't know was it the smallpox outbreak they had there but they had to basically cry for help so they built a little boat and got a sheep's bladder and inflated it and sent this boat on the waves and a few days later it washed ashore in North Uist or somewhere and then the cavalry showed up and all was well and ever since then they had communicated with mail boats and then it became a kind of a touristy thing and people still do it and I'd never found one but I did find one finally eventually almost exactly here where we're standing it had 11 postcards in it so and all stamped and all I had to do was mail them no mm-hmm it was a big tub attached to a float and brightly coloured. And uh, yes, I opened this up and there was a laminated letter. <laughs> it was great. I was so pleased. <laughs> Do you come out all year round? Because a day like today is quite windy. And also you've explained that on Orkney, January is the worst month. Do you still come out in January? Quite windy. <laughs> <laughs> Understatement of the year. <laughs> This isn't windy. Heavens, it's a good drying day, this. You, you wouldn't even have to double up your pegs. No, 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 no. This isn't windy. 
come in January, I'll show you windy. Um, yeah, because that's when you have the biggest winds and the... But I have learned in the years I've been doing this that it's not all about the gales. It's not all about these massive storm events. The best beach combing is when you've got steady winds from one direction for a long time. So for me here on the west coast, looking out into the Atlantic, if I can get winds that are anything between southwest and northwest, so that quadrant, it doesn't have to be a big gale or a or storm or anything like that, just steady and sustained from one direction. It'll bring stuff to the shore, pushing stuff out of the current so the Gulf Stream becomes the North Atlantic Drift Current, which then passes up beyond here about sort of 60 to 100 miles offshore, heading northeast. And when you get those sustained winds, it's enough to sort of push items that are floating past on that current, push them in towards the shore. And then when they get to the shore, they drop out of the current and then become wind-driven. Okay. I'd like to find one of those bean, what are they called? Bean? Sea beans, yeah. Sea beans. What's the likelihood of me finding a sea bean? Well, it's always possible, but they're extremely rare. Up here, this far north, they're extremely rare. Where are they from? Uh, usually the Caribbean, South America. So the most common one that we find here is called the sea heart. And it can be from the northern part of South America, so Venezuela, for example, or the southern Caribbean. It, it looks like a kidney and it's the same colour. So I suppose you could say it's like a conker, but it's been squashed so it's quite flat. And they're beautiful, beautiful things. And they're still viable when they reach here. I've germinated one. You have, successfully? Yeah, but, yeah so I didn't have facilities to get it to grow, but I got it to germinate. To become a... It's a vine. It's, it's called a monkey ladder vine and they have this amazing biology in that they grow in the rainforests, grow up through the trees and they are their legumes so they produce flowers and then a pod just like a pea and this big long pod will ripen and split and scatter these seeds on the rainforest floor and then at this time of year the tropical storms come in with all the rain and the wind and those seeds are then washed into streams washed down and into the sea and they float away and the idea is that they'll float and get to another tropical island and wash ashore and germinate and it'll all begin again but some of them get caught up in the gulf stream and end up in the frigid <laughs> frigid north of scotland and further so they've been found all the way up they've been up in norway they've even been found in spitzbergen I'm going to keep looking for keep those. Looking. Well, you never know. Despite this being a mild Orkney gale, I'm going to stop there if that's okay. And thank you so much, Martin. It's really Pleasure. been very interesting. Thank you for your time. Elevate every morning with Tommy John's Second Skin Underwear. The luxurious support of Second Skin guarantees everything will go smoothly. With over 20 million pairs sold and thousands of five-star reviews, guys love Tommy John. Plus, your most valuable assets are covered with Tommy John's best pair you'll ever wear or its free guarantee. Shop Tommy John's friends and family sale right now and get 25% off site-wide at TommyJohn.com slash Spotify. TommyJohn.com slash Spotify. See site for details. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. This episode is brought to you by ZipRecruiter. When you want the best, you have to act fast, especially when hiring for your business. You want to find the most talented people before the competition scoops them up. 
And the best way to do that? ZipRecruiter. ZipRecruiter finds top talent fast. In fact, four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. And right now, you can try it for free at ZipRecruiter.com slash Spotify. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. Well, beachcombing, I think that's something we can all relate to. Whenever I'm on a beach, I don't kind of go sunbathing or swimming. I just wander around looking down at the sand, stones, rock pools, because it's so absorbing. The strand line, endlessly fascinating what might turn up. And as Martin there, talking to our own Annabelle, he's had a career, decades of finding curious things. Talking of flotsam and jetsam, <laughs> oh. washed, up, washed up in the studio this week. Which are, one is which? Hannah and Jack. Jack is jetsam. Jetsam Jack. And of course. Hannah's flotsam. Okay. Hannah flotsam tribe. I'll allow it. Love to see both Hannah and Jack help me with the podcast and have helped for almost five years now. Really? It's incredible. Yeah. What a journey. Hello. How are you both? Good, thanks. Yeah. How are you? I'm extremely well, actually, feeling very bonny. I like the idea of this. I, it brought this <laughs> idea of stormy beaches and You're all getting giddy. Out. <laughs> I'm a bit giddy. I'm not, that might be this tea. Um, I know, Hannah, you grew up near the coast. On the coast, yeah. Jack, you're more of an inlander, but um, I'd like to hear your beachcombing stories, if you have any. Have you found anything exciting? I feel like my whole childhood was finding stuff on the beach. Yeah. And an awful lot of the nature knowledge that I had as a kid was from beachcombing from picking up things being like mum what's this and then she would explain to me what it was and how it got there and all that kind of thing especially things like mermaid's purses because obviously when you're like a five-year-old girl that's the most exciting possibility a purse yeah from, from a, a mermaid, mermaid. <laughs> yeah that's really good mumming that is that's um she sounds like an excellent we, yeah. we must get her on okay. can't wait to can't wait to, to have mother tribe to talk about she'd yeah. be fantastic great well let's let's do that maybe you should go for a beach combing session with yeah her. okay we could do that you're hired was there anything that you remember from apart from the mermaids um, obviously the mermaids, mermaids presses are special it's kind of egg sacs in general really special you can get those ones that kind of look a bit like a sponge where they're all oh, grouped together oh like uh, whelk eggs yes like, yeah, yep. yeah they're kind of crazy little things and sea glass as well got like boxes and boxes of sea glass the dark Kind of navy blue ones being my absolute favourite. They're the rarest. Yeah, because yeah. they were the poison bottles. Were they? Yeah. Oh, were they? Yeah, so I the medicinal ones. Ah, yeah. okay. Yeah. So you didn't lick those as a child. I may have. <laughs> that explains so much. <laughs> Jetsam Jack, have you been seen on the beach combing? I mean, it's only ever really been the bits of glass I've done before. Mm. I mean, one of the closest beach, or one of them is... Western super mud, I guess you could call it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, you're not finding much in that. Western soupy mud. Soupy mud, yeah, oh, yeah. No. You would probably more likely be found yourself stuck in the mud than uh, you finding anything else. But no, I, yeah, I've done the, the sea glass before. But it did remind me, I, I can't remember the details, but then there's somewhere in particular as a beach where loads of Lego washes up because of... Oh, it's in Dorset, I think, where a yeah, cargo, cargo ship mm, tipped off. Yes. A crate tipped off the boat and then Lego spilt into the ocean. It's just been washing up in this same beach. It's for... amazing how it just stays out there at sea. Yeah. And gosh, dreadful, really, the, the plastic waste. But um, yeah, go down and get free Lego. Yeah. Um, I guess those pieces can still be used. I think so. Yeah, it's pretty indestructible. Yeah, I, I mean, they're probably a bit smooth, isn't it? It's when you mm. see a brick <laughs> and it's like smooth pebble. And I was like, hang on, that was a square brick at one point and now you, the sea, sea's battered it sea lego lego something mm. like that sea lego no I don't know it'll take off that sea glass I made a sea glass painting I, I've I seen showed, it showed I've it. seen it's it a, it's a fish it took me ages really pleased with it although Kevin Parr fisherman extraordinaire says it's not a dace 
it was more like a chub. <laughs> Everything's a chub. Everything's yes. a chub. So, um, yes. I'll try and put that on our social media because I'm really proud of it. I collected all the different colours and made a fish shape and it's quite pleasing on my wall. Tooting my own horn there. I think the things I find most interesting are when you see like a dead gannet and realise just how massive mm. a gannet is, particularly when they're sort of, sounds disgusting, but decomposed. <laughs> but it's and, a really good chance to kind of get that thing in front of you and study it properly. I notice a gannet's beak and skull and yeah. you realise that mm. the skull is reinforced for hitting the water at high speed as it hunts fish and the beak is ready for kind of snaring things. And I found bits of whale. That's quite interesting. Wow. Like a bit of spinal. I wish I'd kept it, but it sort of felt wrong to mm. take bits of a whale and not... Uh, like a, a porpoise. Well, I'm saying whale. It wasn't a fin whale. It was a, it was a little porpoise. <laughs> what are the beach rules? I know there's some about Ooh, taking take, stuff. Take. Very good point, Jack, actually, because I think it's you shouldn't really be taking tons of stuff from the beach, particularly it's the rocks and sand mm. that people don't want. But, you know, the odd little thing, but quite often when you take stuff from beaches, it ends up stinking on your windowsill. Mm-hmm. So your mermaid's purses, I suspect, turned into sort of mer- ended up mer- in the garden, I think. mermen's wallets or something like that, something really unpleasant. With Martin, he clearly just takes away the plastic from the beach. Mm-hmm. And I think that's probably the best combing that any of us can do. And I thought it was really interesting when he was saying he's seeing less plastic turn up on his beaches in the last few years than he had before. And that there'd been this massive improvement because he talked a lot about in the past, every ferry, every ship, every yacht, every just chuck its rubbish overboard. That doesn't happen. Well, it probably does happen, but it doesn't happen so much these days. And I found that really heartening because mm. we keep hearing about how terrible the plastic pollution is everywhere. But for someone on the ground to say it's way better than it used to be yeah. gives me a little surge of hope that perhaps all the stories of doom and gloom aren't necessarily quite as true in every area. It's just, it's all still in the sea. <laughs> well, it's not washed up yet. It's <laughs> true, true. But less is washing up. And I think that yeah. shows us less in the sea where he is anyway. I liked it when he said what he would like. He was slightly reluctant to talk about any treasure that he'd found. What he would like to find is a waterproof suitcase. (laughs) Important that it's waterproof, obviously, full of cash. And before we came on air, we were sort of talking about, is that a good idea or not? Can it a good idea? Yeah, the money always belongs to someone. You've seen enough gangster movies. Someone is mean. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. If it's a big suitcase full of money, someone's going to come looking for it. And they always, in the movies, they always do track you down, no matter how remotely you go. I'd risk it. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Spend it quickly, Jack. Spend it quickly. If they haven't found it washed up on the beach. Yeah. They're not going to find it if I've taken it. Oh, you've not watched the movies. I'm, I'm, I'm afeared for you. Is there anything you'd like to find washed up on the beach that's legal, decent and... Ambergris. Ambergris. Explain what ambergris is. Oh, okay. So there's a whale and the whale eats loads of crustaceans and stuff and all of the kind of excess material that they can't digest stays in their stomach and kind of, I don't know how it works, some sort of science, a ball of kind of fatty stuff. Yeah, sort of greasy. Uh, Grease, amber grease. Yeah, but it's used by perfumiers to make really expensive perfume. And as a result, this stuff is extremely valuable. So you could find anywhere, actually, you can find it. It's, I think it's sperm whales and they eat oh, um, okay. loads of cuttlefish and squid. Oh, there we go. See, it's the beaks. Well, I'm looking at it on my screen here. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think somehow it's expelled. I think it might be like coughed up like an yeah. owl pellet type thing. <laughs> mm. And it floats and it washes up on the beach. It looks pretty unpleasant. Mm, but it I think it doesn't great. really smell no? very nice. To oh, maybe with. not. Maybe not. But it's the way that it's processed or it, it holds the smell. holds or the smell, something. Yeah. I mean, I'll just stick to the case of money, I think. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> that's probably an easier way of going about yeah, it. Yeah, I'll, I'll risk I'll risk the dodgy guys after me, <laughs> yeah. for, rather than have 
just whale, carry this whale slime vomit. <laughs> whale vomit <laughs> <laughs> dripping through my bucket and spade yeah. I think I would really like to find a small yacht, like a wooden yacht Aww. washed up on the beach that was still usable. And, um, <laughs> when you say small in. yacht, do you mean like human sized or like child sized? Oh, I think human sized. Okay. So I, think I can get in it. Okay. <laughs> I wouldn't mind a toy. A toy boat would be great. I make toy boats, but I would like to have one washed up. But I quite like the idea. Another two million pound yacht just to wash up. Yes, <laughs> yes. Uh, with the gin cabinet still in place. Um, <laughs> two week luxury holiday. I hope that washes up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. So tell us your beachcombing stories. Have you found anything incredible out there? Have you found any ambergris for Hannah or any money for Jack? Because <laughs> Send it in. Send it in. Or, or, or a yacht for me. Yes, we, you can send it to Jack P.O. Box somewhere in the middle of England. So we'd love to hear. And email us, editor at countryfile.com. And while you're down on the coast, do record us some sounds of the waves and the birds and the crashing of storms and whatever it is. We like to hear them. So that's what we might like to do. What have we been doing? You guys, I haven't seen you for a week. Have you been out and about in the wild? The skies have been blue and it's been clear and cold and beautiful. It's been very cold. Very cold. I think I've heard... seen snow. I've seen snow. Yeah. yeah did I we talk about snow last week? We did talk a little bit about snow. We but... had some snow around Bristol and then I think it's a few more places have got it. And I think, oh, I'm pretty sure I heard on the news this morning that somewhere in the UK hit minus 14, which I think is yeah, the somewhere, coldest since 2019. Yeah. Golly. So it is definitely fresh, you could say. Yeah, I did drive through snow yesterday off to record a podcast in the middle of Oxfordshire, and there were a couple of little valleys. So suddenly there was like snow in the bottom of the mm. on oh, the roads. Nice. So well, it was a bit scary because okay. I was suddenly <laughs> skating along. For in a my... very romantic view of snow. Yeah, yeah. Well, it was very slushy actually. <laughs> Jack, what's been happening? I've not actually done that much. No, no. <laughs> no, I think just where it's been cold. You've hibernated. Yeah, sort of hunkered down for yeah. for a little bit. I think I'm still in that thing of Christmas was very social and oh. there was a lot going on. So just have a couple of weekends now just to relax and kind of just have a bit of quiet. and You're hibernating. Like yeah, 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 yeah. You and the hedgehogs. Yeah. Yep. See you in March. <laughs> I'll see you later. <laughs> Um, I've been really enjoying all the winter flowering plants that are out at the moment. Oh, what have you seen? Um, Mahonia. Oh. That's my favourite one, I think. It's like this sort of strong, almost hyacinthy kind of smell. What does it look like, Mahonia? Uh, Would I know it? It's very exotic looking, very kind of sharp. It's got great big... This is not a wildflower. This is a... Garden flower, sort of domesticated. Um, But lots of people have it. Um, Great big yellow spikes of tiny flowers. Oh, okay. I should Um, look out for it. It's really rambles. nice. It smells really lovely. Um, and it's a really good um, source of nectar for any insects that are out at the moment. But I suppose not that many at the <laughs> no, moment, seeing as the no. temperature is so cold. But like, it's nice to know that it's there. When the bees do when come, ready. there's some dinner uh-huh. served for them. Brilliant. Brilliant. Okay. I saw a flock of lapwings yesterday, which was also really amazing. It used to be very, very common super common you'd see them everywhere in winter and they're very very distinctive you know when kids draw the kind of little Mm v-shape birds flying it's got to be a lapwing that's exactly what they look like in the sky so that was really pleasing although again seeing it when you're driving at 50 miles an hour down the road it's really annoying like people behind me sorry to those people behind me in the land rover and yeah i also i've been recording and a place that we should go is on the river seven called purton hulks it's a graveyard of boats and i was there last week with a contributor called simon hepton stall and we just explored this graveyard of boats that have been used to shore up the riverbank just driven into the shore and left to rot very very spooky 
You're really trying to find this yacht, aren't you? Yeah, well, like, none, of those, <laughs> none of those were seaworthy. <laughs> um, and we did also meet on that one of Britain's premier pike fishermen, purely by chance. He was fishing on the canal nearby. And it was an, an amazing story. He showed us this photos of himself on the front page of Angler's Mail with an enormous pike. Like amazing. Bigger than all three of us put together, I think. He was very happy to chat to us for a long time and... So much fun. I love that sort of day. But that'll be coming out in a couple of weeks' time. So listen on for boat graveyards and tales <laughs> of lost things. We do have some... Lo- we've had loads of lovely emails in lately. We've had mm-hmm. a surge. I wonder, Hannah, could you possibly read of course. this one? It's a very nice one. In fact, it comes with a sound. So this is from Leanne Collinson. And she says, I love the podcast. I found it only last year. So I'm enjoying working my way through the back catalogue. You mentioned in last week's show that you're pining for the dawn chorus. So here is a little bird song I recorded whilst out walking my dog in the Kent countryside. Enjoy. getting robins jackdaws jackdaws yes jackdaws and robins Robins. well this time of year definitely the birds are waking up there's more and more bird song each morning so really nice to kind of get that it's all just sneaking back in Mm -hmm. even though it's cold some of us are hibernating jack the bird song's happening she's coming it's coming the spring is coming Leanne, thank you so much. We do have a book for you here, which we will send out to you. It's a thank you for sending in sounds. And to everyone else out there, why aren't you sending in sounds? We like to hear. We like to hear your your audio postcards because they're just a joy. Just fun to listen to where you are, what you're up to, and um, some of the natural sounds of the countryside. And the very best each week, we give a little prize to a book from Jack's podcast library. Extensive bibliotheque. Plenty of books to go Plenty of books. There are a lot. So, Leanne, do send us your address and we'll send you something in the post. As ever, the way to contact us is editor at countryfile.com. We have had lots of other messages. We'll read some more out next week. But I think that's probably about it for this episode. What do you think? Should we call it a day? Let's. Let's do that. Join us again next week. Another lovely adventure. I'm out with my son. A tale of treachery, bloodshed and revenge. And that's not between (laughs) us. It's a medieval story that we're uncovering. I have heard from Owen. (laughs) (laughs) He's fine. Uh, He enjoyed it. And so join us. It's a really good tale. And I hope you enjoy it. But for now, from the three of us, it's goodbye.